listening to Experts in Their Field, a podcast from the Agricultural Science Association, generously sponsored by Dairy Gold Agribusiness. Hello, my name is George Ramsbottom and I'm the president of the Agricultural Science Association. In this episode, Mary Delaney, former president of the association, is joined by Kilkenny man Tom Tynan. Tom graduated with his BAG degree from UCD in 1981. In this episode, he details his wealth of experience across a range of agribusiness and policy areas. Among others, he worked with Avon Moore, ACOT and FBA and took on senior roles with IAWS, IFA and Welkin. In 2014, he was appointed to the Cabinet of Commissioner Phil Hogan and ultimately with DG Trade for the European Commission. We wish Tom and his family every success for the future. Hello, my name is Mary Delaney and I would like to welcome you to the Agricultural Science Association podcast, Experts in Their Field. Today, I am delighted to have Tom Tynan join us. Tom hails from a mixed farming background in North Kilkenny. He graduated from UCD with a Bachelor of Agricultural Science in 1981 and has went on to have an extensive and distinguished career in agriculture. He became a UCD Alumni Award winner from the School of Agriculture and Food Science in 2015 because of his phenomenal career and his contribution to the sector. Tom, it's a pleasure to have you join us. You are very welcome. Thank you very much, Mary. Uh, uh, I, I very well, much welcome the opportunity. So Tom, there's no better place to start than at the beginning of your career. And maybe you can tell us why you chose agricultural science and a little bit about college life. Well, when, when, uh, when I was growing up, um, our grandfather lived with us and he, he was passionate about farming. And that's really where my interest in agriculture came from. And then my first two years in college were in University College Galway. I had an uncle and aunt living in Galway and they provided great support. And I completed my degree in UCD. The new ag block had just opened and we had access to a state-of-the-art facility in Belfield. And we, we also benefited hugely from the University Farm at Lions Estate in Newcastle, Ags and Vets, a wonderful facility. And I suppose looking back on that time, Mary, you know, I've reflected on that in terms of our discussion. I mean, Professor Seamus Sheehy gave us a wonderful grounding in agricultural economics. And on the animal husbandry side, we were lucky to have the likes of Professor Pat Caffrey and Morris Boland. And then on the crop husbandry side, we had a wonderful man Dr. Paddy Barry, who passed away at a relatively young age, unfortunately, and he really was, as, as well as being an outstanding crop agronomist, he was a wonderful help to grads coming out. Wonderful help. Yeah, so some great names, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will, will remember those names and, and, and would, you know, really recognise the contribution they have made to their careers as well. So, yeah. And then in 1981, Tom, you, you graduated, and, and it was a tough time in Ireland, um, you know, it was a challenging time in terms of interest rates and inflation. How did you secure your first job? Well, exactly as you said, Mary, I mean, it was a particularly tough time. You had 20% inflation, interest rates were running around 16%. And depending on the month, unemployment varied between 12 and 14%. Now, I was lucky. I got a break in the sense that um, I managed to secure a job as technical sales coordinator with Avon Moore in the Dunamore Monstrevan region. And Avon Moore had established uh, two technical sales coordinators with a focus on crop agronomy. 
Now, the reason for that was the success of another ag, a man you know very well, Mary, Jeremy Malady, who went on to become CEO of Glambia Agribusiness. Yeah, and really, yeah. it, was, it was a scenario where Jer's success meant two, the other two regional managers were saying, uh, we'd love to have a Jeremy Malady. And that's how that opportunity arose. It was really Jer's hard work provided the opportunity and was very fortunate to get it. Yeah, and so it's really hands-on, on-the-ground experience with farmers. And how long did you stay with Avonmore? I, I was with Avonmore for two years, Mary. And uh, when, when, when I came out of college, ACOT had been established, which is now Chagas, the previous year in 1980. And they were establishing a panel for agricultural advisors so they could draw, they could draw off new graduates, really, as, as, as soon as opportunities arose. So like so many in my class, I applied uh, to, to ACOT and managed to secure a place on the panel. And the thing about the panel was that you knew you'd get a job at some stage, but you didn't know when you'd get it. And in my case, I was two years with Avonmore when the call came to join ACOT as an agricultural advisor in Mallow in North Cork. Now, it's fair to say, Mary, you know, I didn't want to leave Avonmore. Uh, I had a great relationship with the uh, regional manager, Brendan Graham, who went on to become company secretary of Glan B at PLC. I loved working for him. I loved the cut and trust of the commercial world. And, you know, I was learning every day. But, you know, my mother, my late, my late, my late mother really wanted me to join ACOT, you know, a permanent pensionable job with the government. Sure. How could you turn that down? And uh, obviously I had to reflect on that. I mean, and, you know, when I reflect on that, there wouldn't have been any third level education without my parents. So very reluctantly, um, I left Avonmore and I joined ACOT. So you have your mother to thank for your third level education, but also that move to ACOT, which today we know was Chagask. And it was a difficult decision to leave Glambia and or Avonmore, Glambia today, Avonmore as it was. But I suppose it's a new experience and every experience is a learning experience. So your two years at ACOT, um, you know, what was the key highlight from that time? And then what happened next? Well, the, the key highlight from that time was um, I was covering a huge area, really, from Mallow to Mitchestown and Mallow to Fermoy. And, you know, a growing part of my work was, was on credit cases. So I spent around 90% of my time on field on farms, but you had a price cost squeeze at farm level at that stage as well, as well as the issues we mentioned earlier on about interest rates. So uh, more and more of my clients were facing some level of financial difficulty, and in some cases, very serious levels of financial difficulty. So I got involved in, in farm rescue packages and restructurings and dealing with banks. And uh, I found that to be hugely rewarding work. Now, difficult at times as well, because you had to sit down with guys and say, listen, you know, to make this work, we might have to sell a parcel of land and then you engage with banks at a very serious level. Uh, so it was really that involvement in, in farm restructurings dealing with banks uh, meant that I left ACOT after two years to go down the road to work for farm business advisors in Fermoy, led by two ags, the two principals, Dr. Tom Butler, who had a PhD, in animal nutrition and Dick Collins, who was a BAG. And now um, Tom ran the consultancy, they had a very strong lab. He ran that side of the business and Dick concentrated on farm finance. They had a huge portfolio of farm accounts up to a thousand clients. So I dealt an awful lot with Dick in terms of uh, farm restructurings and enjoyed it immensely. So, and you were there for how long? I was there for three years. And, you know, while I was in Cork, I, I met Helen, who's now my wife. And uh, she was a teacher, but she was doing a, a post-grad in UCC because she was making a career change into HR. And uh, when she graduated, she got a job in Dublin. And that's the reason why I came to Dublin 
and I joined the IFA as uh, Executive Secretary of the IFA Dairy and Liquid Milk Committees. So already, you know, eight years into your career, you already had vast and extensive experience, you know, between Avonmore, ACOT or Chagas today, FBA and then IFA. So tell me about your time in IFA. Well, I suppose, Mary, you know, the, the, the first thing I'd say about the IFA at that time was, you know, they, they, they used to say that the three biggest influences in Irish life are the Catholic Church, the GEA and the IFA. That's the strength the organisation had and the influence it had on the ground. And, uh, you know, I, I, I came under the influence of Michael Berkeley, uh, who was then uh, General Secretary of the IFA, and he was a huge mentor to me and he remains a great friend to this day. Uh, and also, I was very fortunate to come under the influence of two great men, Joe Ray and Thomas Clinton. Uh, they were huge mentors and influences. Uh, Joe, Joe was a remarkable man. I mean, he was passionate about measurement. He started the Milk Price League in 1967 at the Irish Farmers Journal. And, uh, you know, it's incalculable the value he delivered uh, for, for, for farmers, not alone dairy farmers. And, you know, I was just reflecting the last couple of days that Joe passed away in 2007. He was only 68 years of age and what a loss he has. And in, in the case of Thomas Clinton, Thomas Clinton was president. He had been um, he had been chairman of the Farm Business Committee, outstanding negotiator, brilliant work for farmers up and down the country. I'd come across some of his work when I was an FBA. He had a mathematical mind and an innate ability to do deals. In many ways, Dick Collins and, and Thomas Clinton had an awful lot in common in, in the way they approach, they approach these, these issues. And the other thing I'd say, and it concerns uh, the Irish Farmers Journal, of which you were an executive, I was very fortunate that the late Des McGuire was deputy editor of the journal, and he was a huge mentor to me. I mean, I thought I had a handle on the English language until I met Des, and he basically taught me how to write and, and, and how to get copy published in the Irish Farmers Journal. That was very important to me. Yeah, and, and, and you're really touching on the importance or the role of mentors in your career, even at that point, and how they went on to have such an influence on both your career and on agriculture in general. Um, was mentoring important to you, you know, throughout your career? Absolutely vital, Mary. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was brought home to me, and we, we, no doubt we'll speak about this later on in our discussion, but it was, it was brought home to me in August of last year when Commissioner Hogan resigned uh, as Commissioner for Trade, all those mentors, all those people that helped me along the way, right back to 1981, were all in contact with me, offering support. And uh, they, they have all had a huge influence in, in, in my development, my career development, and I owe them a huge debt of gratitude. Yeah, and, and that's a very powerful statement, and, and it just shows the importance of having mentors in your life, in your career, to get you through the highs and the lows. And um, so, yeah, we will come back to that later on. So. The IFA, you were there for five years. Why, why would you leave? Uh, very big decision, Mary. I mean, this is no secret. I mean, Michael Tracy is a very close personal friend of mine. And uh, Michael was doing an outstanding job in, in the Brussels office for the IFA. Now, I felt that my, Michael, uh, at, at a point in time, would probably move back to the Department of Agriculture and ultimately become Secretary General. So I wanted to become the staff man in Brussels. But I mean... Michael loved the job too much and Irish farmers couldn't afford to lose him. So uh, after five years, I had to look at other opportunities. And uh, during the, my time in IFA, I mean, it was a powerful, powerful job, powerful organization. And I got to know the dairy industry very well. And Liam Wolf and I developed a very close personal and professional relationship. So after five years in the IFA, 
I left uh, to join uh, Liam and uh, Jim O'Mahony in Golden Vale. Jim was the chief executive and Liam was chief operations officer. Yeah, and, and that brought you to Northern Ireland. It, it certainly did. It certainly did, Mary. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 key, the key role for me there was that um, Golden Vale had bought Lake Patrick Dairies in Northern Ireland and uh, in direct competition with Larry Goodman. And Lake Patrick was an outstanding business, you know, five sites, great brands. Uh, but uh, at that time, the Milk Marketing Board was the monopoly purchaser in Northern Ireland. Now, Strathroy were there, they were a small player at the time. So there was questions raised by the European Commission uh, about competition, and the Milk Marketing Board was deregulated. Now, what that meant is there was an opportunity for milk processors in Northern Ireland to buy milk direct off farm. So I was heading up the milk procurement campaign for Golden Vale with Lake Patrick Dairies in Northern Ireland. Yeah, so I mean, even now you're showing the variety of your roles, even up to this point. And, and that was around the time of the ceasefire when you were there. Like, what impact did that have on, on, on your role? Yeah, you know, you're spot on history wise. Yes, the ceasefire, the ceasefire was announced on the last day of August 1994. We were halfway through the campaign at that stage and it changed everything because it gave renewed, renewed confidence to people, uh, you know, the, the thing settled down and, and what we did, uh, one thing we did, which was very successful, as, as we signed suppliers, we used to bust them down to headquarters, Golden Vale headquarters in Charleville. And there they'd meet the board, meet farmers, meet suppliers. And Jim would outline his vision for the business in Northern Ireland. And Jim had an, an innate ability to sort of bring people with him in terms of giving him a picture where he was going to take the business. And the concentration was all about the opportunity in Northern Ireland to grow the business, to add more value, to create more jobs and pay a better milk price. And I think the fact that, you know, suppliers from Northern Ireland came down, came down into the deep south, they met their fellow farmers and realized they were the very same as their neighbors. And that gave, gave them great confidence when they came back, because obviously their own neighbors would be mulling over the decisions they'd have to make. And I think the fact that they went to Golden Vale uh, certainly helped in, 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 you know, making people comfortable about that decision. Yeah. And, and the ceasefire, you know, the ceasefire, what has happened, like it's hard to believe that, you know, that's 27 years ago. And, and you know, even as we speak, you know, there's still concerns in relation to the Northern Ireland Protocol. And as someone who was there on the ground at that time, uh, you know, it's very, very important we don't go back there. Yeah, no, very, very true, very true. And it, it, it shows the importance of the personal touch as well as when you bring people down to meet, you know, who they're dealing with, what they're dealing with. It, it does build confidence and, and the power of that as well. Um, it, it does, Mary. It, it does. And I mean, uh, Jim and Liam were fantastic at that, and as was the board. I mean, yeah. everybody was involved. Uh, and, and, and the great strength that, that, that Jim O'Mahony and Liam Wolf had was they made decisions. There was no management by committee. So if you're involved in a campaign like this, it's all about mood and momentum. If you don't have that, you're going nowhere. So you need quick decisions, you need momentum, and you need full buy-in. Uh, and we had all of that. And then we had the very fortunate, very fortunate development politically in terms of the ceasefire, which gave us renewed momentum. Yeah. And then speaking of, of governments, uh, there was a government collapse and that, that sent you on another, uh, another route in your career um, when Ivan Yates was appointed Minister for Agriculture and you got the call up. Can you tell us a little bit about that time? Well, <laughs> that, that, that's true. Yeah, I mean, that, that was, that, yeah, that was 1995. I got a call out of the blue from, from, from Minister Ivan Yates asking me to become a special advisor 
Now, you know, I, I was listening to Michael Miley on a similar pod, podcast a couple of months ago. His experience was the very same. The minister rang him and asked him to become program manager. Uh, and, he, you know, he, he, he was at a loss to know how it came about. And, um, you know, it was, it was the, the campaign in Northern Ireland had just effectively was just coming to an end. And uh, I spoke to Liam about it, Liam Wolfe and, and, and Jim O'Mahony, and they kindly gave me leave of absence and allowed me to join the minister in the Department of Agriculture in Dublin. So that, that was that was very gracious of them as well. And because you obviously were doing a really good job where you were, but this this new experience with, with the Minister for Agriculture obviously opened your eyes to a whole new set of challenges and opportunities for agriculture. I suppose what were the key standouts during your time with, with, with Ivan Yates? Working in government is both demanding and rewarding. We had a great team under Michael Dowling as Secretary General and excellent assistant secretaries like John Malone, Bart Brady and Seamus Healy. There was a number of challenges. He was we were dealing with the Russian ban, BSE and the Russian ban. He established the Charter of Farmers' Rights, uh, you know, which has given assurance to farmers about the, their payments, confidentiality, prompt responses to queries, uh, definite, you know, definitive payment schedules. He also produced a major forestry plan, Mary, which, which uh, you know, he had a real passion for forestry. And when you look at when, when you look at the role forestry plays as a, a sort of a dual, the dual benefits around carbon sequestration and carbon storage in woods in wood usage. He really was ahead of his time. He privatized the TV scheme as well, which is big at the time. And he laid the groundwork for the establishment of the Food Safety Authority of Ireland. And I suppose at a political level, he did a brilliant job in the second half of 1996 because Ireland had the presidency of the European Union and he chaired the Agricultural Council. And that was particularly important against the BSE backdrop because we had, you know, we had this BSE CGD, CJD connection announced in March of you know March of 1996 by then Secretary of State for Health uh, in the UK and uh, we needed financial support and having him as chair of the council was key in securing substantial financial support. Yeah so obviously there was a lot of work in, going on in Brussels at that time and then delivering that significant funding was of paramount importance to the sector. Um, the, the government went for its full term um, what happened then? Uh, yes, the, 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 the government, the government went for, for its full term, Mary, and, you know, Ivan Yates was a dynamic minister and a decision was made to have an election. And regardless, I mean, the Rainbow Coalition, you know, people look back and say it was an outstanding government, and it was, but like anything else in, in, in politics, you know, you have an election and they came up short and they were short by two seats. Now, in fairness to Minister Ivan Yates, he certainly did his job because Fine Gael gained, I think, six or seven seats in rural areas. But at the end of the day, that's it. That's politics. That's democracy. That's how it works. And you move on. In my case, I'm very fortunate, as I said earlier, that, that Jim and Liam were so good to me. And I was on my way back to, to Golden Vale when Philip Lynch, the chief executive of IWS Group PLC, approached me. Now, in the department, uh, I had some dealings with Philip because he was chairman of Board BIA which had been established by Minister Joe Walsh before Minister Ivan Yates and the late Joe Walsh. And, uh, you know, he rang me out of the blue and he said, listen, will you meet me? I want to have a chat with you. So I met him in the Shelburne Hotel. I remember to this day and he said, listen, I, I want you to come on board. Uh, he outlined where he wanted to take IWS Group PLC. He said, I want you really to think about it. Uh, and of course, I had to reflect on it. 
Now, you know, family comes into play as well because Helen loved her job in Dublin. We had a three-year-old boy and we had a second son on the way. So I had to make, I made a family decision and I joined IWS Group PLC. And, and you've had a really extensive career with, with IAWS PLC. I mean, you started off as executive assistant for Philip, but then you went on to be commercial director and chief operating officers in other areas. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And I suppose the key lessons learned during that time for you. Yes, uh, that sort of, sort of captures the 15 years plus that it was there. The key, lesson, the key lessons were, uh, the, first point, the first point I'd make was that there was a very, very, very strong executive team with some brilliant ags there. I mean, Owen Killian was chief operations officer, outstanding. We had Liam Larkin, who you probably know as well, the late Dr. Jim O'Grady, on the whole animal nutrition side, Tim O'Mahony and, and Mick Long. So they were all great executives. What we did, what, what we did, what we did in terms of the opportunity, I became chief operations officer of a joint venture. Now we had a we had a fish meal business in Killybegs, which is there to this day. We acquired another fish meal business in Grimsby and then one in Aberdeen, and we became the biggest player in Ireland and the UK. So then it was a question to see was there further opportunity. And the other big player in the game was a company called Wellcon, owned by Osteval. So we came together and formed a joint venture to create the biggest fish meal and fish oil producer in the North Atlantic. And that, that was a wonderful opportunity. And it, it taught me so much about, you know, deep due diligence, strong shareholder agreements, but also personal chemistry. I mean, you know, this was, this was an acquisition or a joint venture that made perfect sense. It all stacked up, but it comes down to personal chemistry. You know, in a joint venture, you know, you're going into the same bed, you need to have the same dreams and people need to be able to think the same way. So that, that was a huge learning for me. And yeah. as regards Philip Lynch and what I learned from Philip Lynch, what I learned from Philip Lynch was the importance of detail. He was yeah. a man running a multinational company, but he was across all the business. Every KPI, he was across it. And he had a yeah. great ability to deal with the board, to deal with people. And he was very fortunate to have Jim Maloney as chairman. Jim was a brilliant chairman and a great people's man and a man who, who did outstanding work for the co-op movement. Yeah, and, and just the power of, of, of the people skills is, is coming through loud and clear there. And, you know, the importance of networking and influencing as well. And, and obviously you had a lot of mentors and, and people that, that, that you learned from during that time. But you, you had a very successful career in IAWS. Um, you, you know, very successful with the, with the Welcome um, JV. But what, what, what happened or what, why did you leave? Well, you know, it was a, like... We had, we, had, we had a difficulty in the sense that Helen's sister, Linda, was battling cancer and had three young children. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know, have you seen the Keelan Shanley documentary, Mary, but I think that captures it perfectly in, ter in terms of dealing with a young family in those circumstances. Yeah. So we took some time out and, yeah. uh, you know, unfortunately, Linda didn't, didn't make it, but uh, it was brilliant family time. So I took the opportunity to avail of other opportunities that came my way. I, I joined the board of Chagask under the chairmanship of Dr. Noel Cawley, who was an outstanding chairman. I also joined the scientific advisory board of Altec. The late Dr. Pierce Lyons asked me to go on that, which I did and enjoyed it immensely. And he's a huge loss as well, a man who passed away at 70 or 71 years of age. I did some contract work for EY and then I did, I did further studies in agronomy and environmental science in Harper Adams University. And I had to consider all of this in the context of the joint venture would welcome offered me the opportunity to become CEO of the total business, but you know it just didn't fit at the time for the, the reasons I mentioned. I had a young family as well, so 
these are decisions you make. Yeah, and, and you got extensive board experience during that time and, and an opportunity for further education. So, you know, it was it was another string to your bow, essentially. And then what happened? Well, then the opportunity came to, to, to join the European Commission and uh, something I didn't expect either. Um, and I suppose the background to that, Mary, is that uh, Enda Kenny was Taoiseach and, and uh, Young Claude Juncker was, was the Prime Minister of Luxembourg, and he became the European People Party candidate to become President of the European Commission. And, and the Kenny backed Juncker, a great decision. Uh, he turned out to be a great president. But part of that negotiation was, and the Kenny was, was determined that Ireland would get agriculture and rural development in the, in the new commission. Uh, and then when he made a decision that Philip Hogan would be his nominee, uh, Commissioner Hogan or Phil Hogan phoned me and we had a chat about it. And uh, uh, I said, I'd certainly be interested. And he reminded me that, you know, I had, I had, you know, seven years at that stage working between with, you know, seven years as an agricultural advisor, agricultural consultant, 18 years commercial experience, and then eight years in the policy area with, with the IFA and with Minister Ivan Yates. And uh, now that had educated me on the working of the parliament and the commission of the council. Uh, so, you know, Sort of, we sort of formed the view that it wouldn't be a file that would come about that we wouldn't have some sort of a handle on. So, I mean, I spoke to Helen about it. My kids were at a different age. The opportunity was there. It fitted perfectly. And I took that opportunity. So you were well ready for that role. Your experience really stood to you. You know, the vast experience that you had that you, you as you said, there was nearly every angle covered in terms of what could come up in that agriculture and rural development portfolio. But was there any apprehension from your perspective? Uh, the, the, the only thing, the only thing that, uh, that matters ultimately is family. Every decision I've made in my career has, been, you know, has always had a family element since I got married. So for me, of course it was an attractive opportunity, but I would only take it if Helen and my family were comfortable. And uh, we had that discussion, the, the same as we had the discussion uh, in terms of when Linda was sick. We had that discussion and everything was right about it. And the other thing, Mary, is that uh, Michael O'Leary, thanks to Michael O'Leary, uh, Ryanair were flying into Zaventon three, three times a day, six, seven days a week. So, I mean, I could leave Dublin here on, on a red eye on Monday morning and be sitting at my desk in the Parliament at a quarter to nine Irish time and come back. On, on Friday night and have the weekend with my families. So, uh, you know, that, that, was, that, was, that, was, that was wonderful logistically wise. And of course, every Monday morning, the, the plane was full of people working in Brussels. So a lot of us were traveling together and, uh, you know, it was a wonderful opportunity and I was delighted to take that opportunity. Yeah, and during your time on the cabinet of, of the Agriculture and Rural Development Portfolio, Brexit, was on the cards. Um, and I, I know that, you know, there was different stances taken, but can you tell us a little bit about, um, about the role, I suppose, Commissioner Hogan would have taken and, and others in, in that field and, and the impact that would have had? Well, uh, Brexit, yeah, the, the role Commissioner Hogan took was, he was the only European commissioner that spoke in all four, four parts of the UK in the lead up to the vote in 2016. Um, the European, the European Commission made a decision not to get involved uh, because David Cameron, then Prime Minister, said, you know, everything is fine. You better not have any involvement. The industry and farmers in the UK, across the UK, were requesting Commissioner Hogan to become involved. 
And he had a discussion with the President Juncker, President Jean-Claude Juncker, and Juncker gave the approval. And uh, that th those discussions were, were hugely interesting because in a number of the debates, um, Commissioner Hogan debated with Owen Patterson, the former Secretary of the Environment, an Arden breaks a tear. And, and there's no doubt about it, Hogan won those debates. I mean, the show of hands reflected that. And the one thing we were picking up was it was an empty chair, really. I mean, you know, there was nobody advocating for Europe. And, and you know, if you know, in politics, if you want somebody's vote, you have to ask for it, number one, and you have to explain why you should get it, number two. And uh, that was an opportunity that Commissioner Hogan took very successfully. Now, unfortunately, you know, we, we know we, we know the way it went and uh, it was a pity. Yeah. And, and from your perspective, we, could we have done more? Oh, absolutely. Uh, no doubt at all about it, Mary. I mean, what should have happened, what should have happened was the, the, the commission should have put forward commissioners, uh, obviously like Commissioner Hogan, Timmermans uh, um, and others. Carlos Mojas would be another very prominent commissioners uh, to articulate the European case. And I think if that had been done, you'd have a different result. In fact, I'm sure of it. Uh, because, as I say, I was very fortunate to be on that campaign trail with Commissioner Hogan. I could see it myself. Spoke to a lot of politicians, a lot of lobbyists, and the empty chair was a problem. And, and what was the commission like after Brexit, you know, occurred essentially, when, when the vote happened? What, what was the mood in Brussels then? There was a, se there was a sense of shock. Uh, there was a sense of shock. And I have to compliment the president, uh, former president Jean-Claude Juncker. He kept the show together. Uh, uh, deep down, he regretted it deeply that we weren't involved in the campaign. He hasn't been slow to say that. He's expressed that publicly and he deserves great credit for that. And one of the first decisions he made was to bring Michelle Barnier back in as the chief negotiator. Now, Michelle Barnier had been a two time commissioner. He effectively you know, had retired out of politics. Uh, and uh, that was a great call. Uh, bringing yeah. Michelle Barnier back was a great call. And then Michelle Barney and Commissioner Hogan developed a, a tremendous personal relationship. And, you know, they worked together on the withdrawal agreement and Northern Ireland Protocol. And uh, they worked they worked tirelessly on behalf of the European Union and also on behalf of Ireland's interests. Yeah, and, and you would have played a key role in that as well. But during the, your time on the cabinet, obviously cap reform, there was a number of other big um, ticket items essentially around budgeting and funding. Can you tell me a little bit about that and, and what stood out from your, from, from your perspective? Well, I suppose that the first thing to be said, um, Mary, is that Commissioner Hogan was dealing with 28 member states when he became commissioner. When Ivan Yates was minister, we had 15 states in the European Union. Now, as we know, the 28 became 27, but it, it's, it's a huge responsibility as commissioner to deal with that many countries. The first challenge was the Russian ban. You might remember that Russia annexed Crimea there in 2014, and that led to a ban, five billion ban on agri-products were eliminated. So uh, the first year, Commissioner Hogan focused on securing additional funding um, and very successfully, very skillfully delivered one and a half billion of additional funding outside the common agricultural policy. Then in March 2015, milk quotas were abolished, well flagged. Uh, but that's put a challenge and an opportunity, and we've seen the way uh, milk volumes have grown in Ireland. Uh, of course, the challenge was when you have tightness in the market with the Russian ban, and you, ha you have you know, a surge in supply, you, you, had, you had a price squeeze, and, and before we knew it, we were intervening in the market. 
And uh, what people probably don't realize was there was thresholds in terms of intervention thresholds that couldn't be breached, but he skillfully managed to get those thresholds lifted. And we ended up, we ended up intervening about 385,000 tons of skim milk powder, supported the market. And no, no sooner had we the tonnage in than the people who wanted us to intervene were saying, you know, what are we going to do about this overhang and how are we going to manage this? But he skillfully managed the release of that product without any adverse impact on the market. And when he finished his commission, there wasn't an ounce of product into intervention and uh, commodity prices were in a great place across the sectors. And they've powered on since then. He, he produced the, the common agricultural policy proposals, the new proposals with the emphasis on modernization, simplification, environment and climate. He did an awful lot of work on research and innovation, Mary. So important now, very important now in the context of climate change and working with the line commissioner, Commissioner Carlos Mojas, they managed to double the amount of funding available for research for food, agriculture, rural development and the bioeconomy. And you'll have seen yourself that the new framework program, Horizon Europe, has an overall budget of 95 billion. The previous program, Horizon Europe, had a huge budget of 80 billion. And I think uh, the former commissioner, Commissioner Morgan Quinn, deserves enormous credit for that. She was line commissioner for research and development at that time. And, uh, you know, it's a great legacy she left behind. So, you know, part of that funding as well, there will be there will be missions. And one of those will be particularly important for agriculture which is soil health and food. And I think there'll be the guts of a billion euro available for that mission. Uh, and we've seen, I mean, we've seen the importance of soils. We know the importance of soils as ags, but like the, the soil sampling program in, in Ireland, you know, 15 and a half thousand applications. It shows a real understanding of the importance of soils and soil science in Ireland. The other thing that, that he did was he concentrated on, on, on growing exports. And, uh, you know, he, he, he delivered an export surplus of about 62 billion euro. Uh, when he started as commissioner, we were marginally positive in the sense that, you know, we had slightly more agri-food exports than we had imports. And he grew that to a positive 62 billion. The figure will be higher again this year. I don't want to burden people with numbers, but the importance of those numbers are that every billion of agri-food exports creates an additional 18,000 jobs in Europe. And you now have a different narrative around the importance of the industry in Europe. And around the college table so you know this this stuff and rubbish we hear all the time about subsidies etc and what are they doing what are they delivering this is a dynamic industry creating jobs it's competitive and when you have a narrative like that it's much much easier to get financial support around the college table yeah and and i think the jobs is a big one and the investment in research and uh, going forward research and development and innovation you know the sector really needs that and it's, it's great to see that the funding will be available and and the the opportunities with their exports to deliver those jobs like we, we need to 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 drive that message home um after your 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 time you did the full five years and the cabinet of agriculture and rural development with the european commission then you moved to trade in 2019 was that a, a steep learning curve or how, how did, you know, what was your experience in making that move? Well, well the first thing I'd say about trade, uh, Mary, is it's a wonderful portfolio. It's unique in the sense that the Trade Commissioner negotiates on behalf of the EU27. So aside from the President and the first Vice Presidents, it is the most important portfolio around that college table. Wonderful opportunity and blessed to get that opportunity. It opened me, it opened my eyes to areas like trade remedies around subsidization, countervailing measures, dumping, 
uh, OECD, huge international countries. And, uh, you know, one of the big wins, even though the commissioner was there for less than a year, one of his big wins was around uh, signing a deal with China on geographical indications. Uh, now, he did a deal with China to protect 200 iconic European and Chinese goods from imitation and misuse. So he you know, that, that deal recognizes 100 uh, geographical indications from the European Union and 100 in China. And there's a second batch to follow that. There'll be 175 GIs each uh, from both the European Union and China by 2025. And like a lot of people listening to the podcast would probably be vaguely familiar with geographical indications. We have them in Ireland, like Clare Island, Salmon, the Hill Lamp, Connemara, Irish whiskey is a, is a GI. And uh, from a European perspective, the sales value of GIs is worth about 75 billion. And uh, on a product basis, it's probably worth twice a generic product. So that was a huge achievement. And uh, he, de he developed a great relationship in China uh, and that, that was a quick delivery. So uh, he also did an awful lot of work in terms of the WTO as well and developing a relationship with the then uh, United States Trade represent Representative Robert Lighthizer. And uh, I think that relationship was hugely helpful to the European Union. So it was, it was a very rewarding experience in trade, but it came abruptly to an end. You know, what happened and, and, and you know, where, where, we, where did you go from there? Well, of course, uh, it did, Mary. It was a very, very difficult time. And I was very disappointed for him. I mean, he, a man with tremendous political skills. And I, I thought the trade portfolio was made for that skill set. And, you know, when you see the letters that appeared in the journal, your own publication, the weeks following the resignation, I'd show the respect and admiration that Irish farmers had for his efforts. And he received thousands of emails and texts from around the world. And, um, you know, one of the enduring memories I have, Mary, is that I was with Michelle Barnier and Commissioner Hogan. We went down to the funeral of the French FNSEA, which is the French Farm Organization, their president died very suddenly, Xavier Poulain. We went down to Orléans to a packed cathedral. And I mean, the cathedral didn't, didn't hold the crowd that was there. There was, there, was, there was thousands of people there. But I mean, the respect that French farmers had for Michel Barnier and Phil Hogan that day will never leave me. So look, it was unfortunate, but we all know, I mean, we all know you have to expect trials and disappointments in life. Uh, and, you know, that's what happens and you got to move on no more than, you know, the rainbow government falling two seats short. That's it. That's the way it goes. You move on. And, and go back to your earlier point about the role of mentors during that time for you. But what's next now for Tom Tynan? Well, I was very fortunate, Mary, following the demise of Commissioner Hogan. The commission asked me to move into DG Trade, which is the civil service of trade and to work on trade remedies, which was a file, a big file I was dealing with in the cabinet and uh, it, yes it's 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 a, it's a very interesting area reading more about it now in terms of dumping and subsidization and countervailing measures uh, so i worked i worked on that file very interesting file very very interesting subject and i worked with the commission up until the summer so i'm i'm what we call in a cooling off period now and what that means is that what i want to do next the commission have to clear it I mean, I'm long enough around to know, you know, uh, about the sensitivity, some of the stuff I've dealt with and, and conflicts of interest. So there's a couple of projects I'd like to work on and they're with the commission at the moment. And I'm hoping they'll give me clearance to work on them.
So it's it's watch this space now for Tom Tynan. So Tom, I've one more question for you, and it, and it's to young undergraduates and recent graduates or people a few years into the career. Like you've had a phenomenal career, and um, you've had you've vast experience. And um, what advice would you give to to those setting out on their on their career or maybe a couple of years into their career? Well, well, the first thing I'd say is that every day is a school day. By that, I mean, there are learnings every day. So you're gonna learn from every experience. And, and the question is, you know, how do you, you know, how, how do you sort of bottle that and say, what have I learned from this? And where can I sharpen up? Uh, and there's an awful lot that can, you can do that. And you also need to be a good listener because you're a product of your experiences. The second point is to prepare properly. It sounds very simple. It's the one thing I've learned all the way through from working with T. Collins, as I explained, in terms of dealing with banks, know the file, know the numbers, negotiate hard. Um, it was the same with, 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 with um, Philip Lynch, Liam Wolf, Jim O'Mahony, be across the detail. And that's all about preparation. So whether you're a 24-year-old ag negotiating with a bank like I was, or a chief operations officer like I was, it's all about the detail uh, and, and being on top of it. Be professional yeah. at all times. I mean, by that, I mean, doors open that you can't see. So word of mouth is hugely important in securing employment and recommendations. You know, people look at people's confidence and fewer and fewer jobs, as we both know, are now being advertised. So, you know, people are always looking and saying, is that guy or that girl the right fit for our organization? So you're a walking billboard for yourself. If you behave in a professional manager manner and you're properly prepared, you'll set yourself up. Career is a lifelong learning. And, uh, you know, over my career, I did further studies and, you know, I, I touched on agronomy, environmental science, economics, accounting and finance. And today, you know, I'm doing, a, I'm doing the postgrad diploma in, in corporate governance in UCD. So it never leaves you. And my mother, uh, like all Irish mothers, was passionate about education. And, you know, she, she used to quote Mandela to me, would you believe, about mm -hmm. education being the most poor, powerful weapon which you can change the world and that's so true uh, the other point uh, that, that and i mentioned it earlier on in our discussion mary is that never forget the people who helped you on the journey i mean those companies association organizations they paid your wages and as i said you know in a, during a different a difficult professional and personal time for myself uh, they were there for me and i'll never forget that and uh, you know i suppose one of the final points i'd make is that a very close friend of mine sent me an article a number of years ago, and he did. He, he in the article it described life as a, as a sort of a game of juggling five balls, and we we all know about the importance of that because everybody's doing them. And you know, work, family, your health, your friends, your faith—they're very important, all of them. But there's only one of them a rubber ball, and that's work. Work will always bounce back. There will always be other opportunities. Opportunities yeah. come, opportunities go. But the other four. You know, if they fall, it can be more difficult to put together. So that's why, you know, family is very important. And, you know, you have to mind your family. You have to mind your family. You have to mind your friends and mind your relationships. And the last thing I'd say is what's something that the, the late Dr. Pierce Lyons used to always say, uh, that the two most important words in the English language are please and thank you. Yeah. Well, well, that's a great way to end. Um, I wouldn't be even able to summarize that advice, but I, I just um, urge listeners to listen to it again is all I'd say. Um, and thank you, Tom Tynan. It's been an absolute pleasure. You've had a phenomenal career. It's an honor to speak to you. And I wish you, Helen, and your family all the very best. Thank you very much.
Thank you very much, Mary. I appreciated the opportunity. It's been a great pleasure.